Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We are in First Peter. We will be there for some time, I would guess, and we today will begin our reading in chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. I would say before we read the text, we'll read it in the New American Standard Version. I was tempted to maybe do it in the New Century Version. Uh, No matter what version you read of in the English, sometimes, and this is one of those passages that it's hard to make sense of it sometimes. It's just not language like we would use. And I think for people, especially if you have have not labored through learning a second language. I, I, I think one of the best things that uh, you could ever do for your English is to learn another language. Uh, because uh, you, can, you, you don't have to learn what conjugation means until uh, you have to learn a different language. Uh, you can get by. Uh, it, you can get by in a culture where they all speak your language without understanding it very much, but you have to understand language, period, to, to learn a different one. And, and so it's, it's not easy switching from one language to another. When we try to translate uh, the, the Greek and the Hebrew into English, I don't care how we do it, how hard we work at it, it does not always flow like we would like for it to. It's, it's just not going to do it. Uh, we're coming from a different culture as well as a different language. You know, good morning in Hebrew is Boker Tov. But that's not how they would greet each other. They would greet each other with Shalom. It's just a different greeting altogether, peace and prosperity. You didn't get up this morning, look at your husband and go, peace and prosperity, honey. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is, it's a different culture. It, it, if, it, in, in Greek, we would say kalimera, which is, is good day. But they, they may not greet each other that way at all. Even in modern languages, we say thank you. Uh, in French, they would say merci. Uh, but then we would say, you're welcome. They don't say you're welcome. They say, as you please, je vous en prie. And so they don't even use the same words that we use. And I don't think people understand it. I, I remember I was teaching a class one time out of town, and a gentleman in the class said that, uh, hey, preacher, I knew then we were about to hear a, a word from a scholar <laughs> But he said, uh, you know, they just recently found over in the Holy Land uh, some ancient scriptures, and it was word for word, the King James Version. (laughs) And I was in front of a lot of people, some who knew me, some who already had that grin on their face, like, how are you going to handle this one? Uh, I, I did my best like any good Bible teacher would do, 
to dodge it with all my might. Um, I, I would never want to hurt his feelings, but but those kind of ideas are are just so way off base. So I, I say all of that, and we will read our text together this morning. And um, I know we understand these words; we just wouldn't say it. Uh, in the same way. But let's start in verse 10. He has been talking about our salvation. And he starts in verse 10 in the New American Standard Version. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They prophesied. In the Old Testament, about Jesus Christ, but they understood very little about it. Seeking to know, verse 11, what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They were really trying to understand what will that day be like. And, and, and what will Jesus be like? What will the Messiah be like? How, how is all of that going to happen? Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. And in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Two groups there, okay? They prophesied in the Old Testament, and now you have people, he says to these uh, five locations in Asia Minor, you folks in Cappadocia, you have people now that are preaching the gospel to you. To Cornerstone Fellowship, he says, you have the prophets, and they prophesied about Jesus Christ. Now you have uh, Pastor Mike Snellgrove standing preaching the gospel to you, uh, along with others, most of whom would do a better job. But that's what he is saying to them. Uh, and they preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Isn't that great? That the angels in heaven, after all that they have seen, now I, 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 I've not been to heaven if I go, I don't plan to come back. So you'll just have to wait till you get there to figure out what it's all about. And don't pray that I come back, by the way. Please don't raise me from the dead. That'd be like me being on vacation in Hawaii and you telling me I need to come back to Ellenboro. I, I, I just don't want to do that, okay? Leave me there. But after all they've seen in heaven, what they really long to see, Peter says, is this salvation thing. Where a holy God is going to step into a world of sin. He is going to become flesh. And he's going to live among them. We treat him with the utmost reverence. But down there, they're going to, they're, they're going to mistreat him. They're going to misrepresent him. They're, they're not going to recognize him as God. That, 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 that is incredible. And he's going to do all of that because... He loves those people? Yeah. He says, boy, the angels, uh, I'll paraphrase, Doc. They, they sit around and scratch a 
sore spot on their noggin wondering, how in the world is that going to happen? We've seen a lot, but we ain't seen anything like that. Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Literally, and the King James follows this, but uh, most people who would tell me, hey, my King James says this, don't know what it means. Because in the KJV, it would follow it more literally, because literally it says, gird up the loins of your mind. We understand if, if we study history and we study the culture of that day that when a Roman soldier, he stayed in uniform most all the time. That was just the clothes that he wore. But you could tell the ones who were on duty and the ones who were not. If he was on duty, if, if, if he was someone that was on the watch, he would have his belt pulled together, he would have all his equipment, his sword, and all of his loins would be pulled together so he could run, so he could grab whatever he needed. All of that would be buckled, uh, that belt would be, be fixed so that, that he could lay his hand on whatever he needed in a second or break and run, whatever that he had to do. When he was off duty, he would open his belt and the equipment would just kind of hang about. Peter is saying, church, you're on duty. Gird the loins of your mind. Get your head into this. Um, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Be serious about this, he says. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know one day the whole world's going to know what you know. Keep your hope and focus on that. As an obedient, ch as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. We know he's speaking to the Gentiles here. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Sometimes I can be holy in my talk, in my maybe in my thinking, and and, and, and I can talk, uh, say holy things or sing holy songs. But he says, no, your behavior is what counts. It's not going to make any difference if you come here uh, and, and you follow the, along with the beautiful voices of our praise team ladies and, and then go out the door and live as an orphan when you just sang about him being your father. He says, be holy in your behavior. Verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Three times in Leviticus, if you're curious, he says that. <coughs> Verse 17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your Stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. 
that you inherit or that you inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He's talking to us who through him, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Wow. We believe in God through Jesus Christ. That, that almost sounds backwards. Most people think, well, we start believing in God and then, then in Jesus. Uh, I want to pause here. Uh, and, and when I chase rabbits, make sure you remember where we are because I might not. But believing in God because of Jesus Christ is a whole lot different than just trying to find God in the cosmos. We, we talked Wednesday night, the, the men and I, we had a great discussion. I, I hope you'll, you'll come to that sometime. If you're not, you have a good crowd. But, but we talked about the fact that there are atheists uh, who are it's documented things that they have said where they don't believe in God, but they know something's up. Uh, we talked about Stephen Hawkins, for example. Stephen Hawkins said, I, I, I don't know what happened, but after Einstein's theory of relativity was proven to be certain, uh, they knew then that the universe had not always been here, that it had a starting point, and that was one of the darkest days among scientific atheism. Because if it has a starting point, it has to have a starter. Figuring that out has been hard on the boys, I'll just tell you. <laughs> Carl Sagan was one of the most revered of all. He had his own show for years. And, 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 and I read, you know what he said about this, this mystery of how life began on earth? He, he said that he believed that, well... One day, aliens will come to the earth and tell us how it all started. I'm like, Carl, is that the best you got? I mean, I know you're smarter than I am, but with all the stuff you know, that's, that's as far as you got on that topic? Aliens? They're, 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 they're going to come and say, take us to your leader, and they're going to have these heads that... Look all weird and stuff, and, and they're going to tell us. That's the best you have. Uh, uh, Stephen Hawkins, you remember him. He used to be an atheist. He is no longer an atheist. Did you know that? That's because he's dead. He has seen the light. I fear too late. Stephen Hawkins said, he said that he agreed with Fred Hoyle, another astronomer, that somebody's tinkering with the physics. Because Stephen Hawkins said, who was a diehard atheist, he thought people like you and I who believe in God are just, well, we're pitiful. You're just ignorant fools. He says, but I will tell you this. He said, according to my calculations, had the pressure in the universe 
At the time of the Big Bang, which he believed in, he said, had it been off by zero point at 12 zeros and then a one, he said the universe could not have existed. It's called the fine tuning of the universe theory, and it drives them crazy. Because they themselves have identified at least 225 things that had to be so precise. It's just incredible to believe that it could have ever happened by accident. Uh, I don't know how much of this sermon we're going to get through today. Because I thought of another thing I told the guys Wednesday night. You got, you got to come on Wednesday night. We save the good stuff. These guys, they, they needed these young boys come. They ooh. I have to break out the stout stuff for them. No, we have a great time. And I love the young guys coming. But I told them Wednesday night, I said, you know, when I get my hand, boy, that's something I thought I'd never say. <laughs> but when I get my hand, I wonder if I told people, if I get one of those fancy ones, it's going to really be cool because they'll do all kinds of stuff. I can move certain things. And Wednesday, by the way, I go uh, and I, the process starts. I'll be there most of the day in Charlotte. But if I get one of those uh, fancy ones, I can do all kinds of stuff with it. Really. Uh, individual fingers move certain uh, ways and, and do certain things. Uh, and, and, and it, it's going to be incredible. And then I just, I can just bump a, a muscle a different way and it'll do something else. And there's all kinds of grips. I wonder if I looked at someone and said, you know, this hand here, I, I, I didn't buy it. I found it. <laughs> just over time, it came together. There was some wires and stuff. And, and, and really, it took billions of years but that was like lightning hit a tree and some sap ran down and made this hard shell and on and on if you couldn't be and you know you could if you could not believe that about the hand I plan on getting why would you believe it about this one because I don't care what kind I get it's not going to do what this one did because somebody designed that one designed it Believing in God and just thinking, well, there must be something out there. And I know people. I know people I, I, that they believe in God, but they it's not through Jesus Christ. They have an idea that he's awesome. Oh, Lord, when I look at the universe, it's just so incredible. And I know there's a God. How could you look at the mountains and not believe in God? You can have all of that going on in your head and not have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ and die lost and spend eternity without him. That's important to know. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like, it's like grass. And all its glory is like the flower. Of grass. The grass withers. 
and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Not exactly the way we would say it all, but it's important. Later on in chapter 5, as we began our sermon this morning, he's going to tell them, I'm writing to you from Babylon, not, not the literal geographical location of the ancient city in the Old Testament. But Babylon became an idea. It became a way of thinking. Uh, Corinth was a, a port city uh, in the ancient world and, and, and the sailors would bring in a ship and, and they would park it and there, there would be these guys that would take the ship and put it on logs and they literally would roll it across the, this short isthmus into another sea. And as hard as that was, it was easier than sailing around. Because back then, when you got out in the bigger oceans and the bigger seas, uh, there was a good chance of you losing your life. So while they were doing that, the sailors would go to town. And wow, I mean, man, you know when a bunch of sailors go to town. I mean, David Cooper was in the Navy, so I, I need I say more. But when you in the Navy... Yeah, I thought so. It was the Boy Scouts till then. Cooper joined. But, boy, it would get rough around Corinth. Then they used to say, hey, you're thinking like Corinthian, or, boy, that's got Corinth written all over it right there. And when they would talk about something real depraved and, and really out of whack, Babylon was the same way. It became to stand for anything that was totally against God. Because the Babylonians were all, they were all about themselves. They had pagan deities. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And boy, he just, uh, he, he's the epitome of what Babylon was about. Thinking he didn't need God and, and, and all of that. And, and by the time that Peter is writing this, the, the place where Babylon used to exist, which is in modern day Iraq, it was just some ruins. It was a few old buildings that you could kick around in the dirt and find, but it was no longer a city. It was no longer an empire. So where is Peter writing from? Well, he's actually writing in Rome. But he is saying to them, I'm going to call it Babylon, and you guys are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I am writing to you from the center of depravity. I am in a place that thinks they do not need God. They care, care less about God. They have religions, but they don't honor God. They care nothing about His Word, nothing about His prophets. They will finally kill me, and they will kill Paul in the, uh, the next few months or years to come at the most. And so he said to them, I am writing to you from Babylon. That, that's how bad the world has gotten. So I would say this to us this morning. You and I know we live in Babylon. Really? We live in a place that it, it, it just, it, I, I, it's unbelievable. 
It's just phenomenal, the ideas that, that people have. And, and what is amazing to me is a lot of these ideas are, are supported by people who are supposed to know better. And, and, and a lot of this foolishness in, in, in the political world around us right now, it is supported by people who are sitting in churches this morning. So I would just say to you, it is a quagmire. It, it, it is a mess. It, it, it's not clear anymore. The, the lines between right and wrong and good and evil have, have been blurred, not by God and not in God's mind, but in the minds of the people of this world. It's just hard to tell anymore. He says, I am writing to you about it. He says, therefore, gird your mind. So I would say this as we began this morning, and if we don't finish, it's fine. We need to gird our minds, folks. We need to be innocent as doves, Jesus says, but he says be wise as serpents. Be wise as serpents. Uh, he talks about God's plan of salvation, and he points out several things. Let's at least look at a couple. He talks about the prophecy of God's salvation in verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches. And they made all kinds of inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. What would that time be like? What will this Christ be like? As he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and the glories to follow. God was revealing it to them. That's kind of a weird concept to us. But part of that is because maybe we've not read the Old Testament as we should. As a matter of fact, the first prophecy about one day that the Messiah would come and set things right goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And it was made by God himself. He tells the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And God said, I will put enmity... Between you and the woman. Hatred. A dire hatred between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Oh yeah. He said, I can tell you right now, serpent. You, you won the day here in the garden. And one day when I come and I, I become flesh, they, they, you'll take a shot at me as well. But a snake striking you on the hill and you crushing his head, uh, that's two different things entirely. If you want to kill a snake, there's only one good place to hit that rascal, and that's hit him right in the head. That's where his vital organs are. He can do a lot of damage until you do that. He says, I can tell you, your end is coming. I will take care of you. It'll be a long time. Uh, as far as humans are concerned. But I'll not forget this day, Mr. Satan. Uh, that's our first prophecy. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 18.15, he says to the people there uh, that are going into the promised land without him, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, he says, from among you and from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And he says some other things about him in Deuteronomy. And we would probably think, well, we're just really not all that sure about was he talking about Jesus or not. 
But then Jesus comes along in John chapter 5, verse 46, and says, To you Jews, the Jews said, Oh, we believe in Moses and we believe in Abraham and all of that. And, and we don't know who you are, but we know who they are. And he says, Well, if you believed in Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Oh, I'd, I'd say that Moses was uh, probably not ready to write a gospel. Of course, God could have inspired him to. I'm not saying he understood a lot about the Christ. I'm saying he's like these other prophets who sought diligently to try to figure this thing out. How in the world is it that one of these days that God himself is going to come and be the sacrifice? And, and as Isaiah would prophesy that, that he would be marred beyond recognition and they would beat him and, and brutalize him and all of that. How in the world can any of that happen? Isaiah was trying to figure it out 800 years before he came. Jesus brings up Isaiah again. I'll mention this one and we'll move on. But at the continental divide of the gospel, don't ever forget where this is. It's in the gospel of Matthew chapter 12. In the gospel of Matthew chapter 12, if you read it sometime, you will see that the Pharisees have looked at Jesus and have admitted something to their own demise. They said, we know you do awesome things. We know you do these miracles. And of course, I'm paraphrasing, but we know you do these wonderful works. And when they say wonderful, they don't mean wonderful like puppy wonderful. They mean you cause wonder with what you're able to do. We know it's not normal. It is not sleight of hand. It is not, well, you know, you said be well, and a few months later they finally got back on their feet. No, we've seen it. Miracles. Miracles. We have seen you raise people from the dead. We have seen you do things that were on the spot, absolutely, in defiance of everything that we could have ever imagined. But then they looked at him and said, but we've decided. That you do it by the power of Satan. And I'm going to tell you something. The disciples didn't get it. But Jesus looked at those Pharisees. He said, so that's what you decided, huh? That means you know who I am. I, I've known for some time that you've known who I am. One of you met me in the middle of the night. His name was Nicodemus, and he told me that you guys had a meeting. <laughs> and at the meeting, y'all decided I had been sent from God because nobody could do the things that I do had he not been sent from God. But now you're saying that I do this from the power of Satan. He said, that means that you know who I am, and with full knowledge of who I am, you are telling me no. You are rejecting. He says, that is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And it will not be forgiven of you in this life, nor in the life to come. Yeah, that's where our unpardonable sin comes in. And then in the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 13, he starts out and he gives a parable. And his disciples are like astonished. Why is he talking in parables? Why is he telling us a story about a farmer over here spreading seed and the four kinds of soil and all of that? And, and so when it was all over with, they went to him and they asked him about it. And so he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. He says, well, 
He said, it's just like Isaiah said in the case of the prophecy of Isaiah. He said, it's being fulfilled right now. He says, you will keep on hearing. That, that's, he said, Isaiah prophesied this. You will keep hearing, but you will not understand. And you'll keep on seeing. These people are, have been seeing disciples. They would not even deny that. They saw, but they will not perceive. And, and, and the heart of this people has become dull with their ears. They scarcely hear. I have that problem. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. You see the human volition in that? They have willfully closed their eyes. I didn't close them. They closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And if they would do that, I would heal them. But then he goes on and explains the parable. And in verse 16, he tells the disciples, But blessed are you, your, are your eyes, because you see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, here we go, desire to see what you see. They tried to make it out and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Wow. I guess what I'm saying to you, number one, the salvation that you and I have, it's not just an awesome story. It's an ancient story. And the men and, and the women who wrote in the Old Testament and spoke in the Old Testament, I can tell you, they understood very little about it. There's no doubt about that. I'm not telling you that all oh, they were all like, wait till Jesus gets here. I, they understood so little about that. Uh, they, they understood so little about a lot of things that Jesus would come and make clear. But Peter says, I can tell you, he says they were trying to because they knew these sacrifices at the temple, they're not going to get it done. These animals that are dying, it, it, this, if this satisfies the wrath of God against sin, then we've misunderstood something along the way. God's got a bigger plan. One of these days, He's coming Himself. One of these days, He Himself will have to uh, procure righteousness for, for people because this law that we follow and these ceremonies that we follow, they cannot make us holy. They cannot make us righteous before God. We keep failing. We keep messing up. And then God tells us to go out and preach to them and tell them they messed up. There's a vicious cycle going on here. And one day God's going to put a stop to it. He's going to offer salvation. He's going to give himself, but for the life of us, we just can't wrap our mind around it. Well, you and I have the New Testament, and we can barely wrap our mind around it. You think about this. God Almighty himself had a covenant, an old covenant, that we could never keep. This is the Old Testament. Testament is a comes from a Latin word. There we go again. See, I'm circling back now. But there's a language that it's hard for us to just to bring the word right over. Testament, Old Testament. That doesn't make sense to you and I. Covenant makes a better sense. 
Because that's what it actually was. In the Hebrew, Bahrith was a covenant. It was an agreement that two people would come together. It was a legal bind, excuse me, a legal binding agreement. The Epheke is a Greek word in the New Testament. We understand that when it's translated. It is a legal binding agreement. In the Old Testament, God had a covenant with his people Israel, and they broke it and broke it and broke it. And then he comes and gives us a new covenant. A new covenant, one where he himself comes to this earth, and he lives, and he dies, and he pays the price for my sin, and he keeps my end of the covenant that I could never keep with him, so I can live with him forever. I mean, if you say no to that, you are a fool. Really, you are a fool. He says, Mike, you can't keep it. You can't do it. You can keep trying, but you're never going to do it. I've got to come. I've got to die. I've got to pay the price for your sin. And man, when Mike Snellgrove's sins just hung heavily upon him on that cross, that's when he began to just cry out to the Father. My goodness, it's, it's, it's so hard. Why, Lord, you have even forsaken me because I'm carrying that depravity of that knucklehead kid from Anderson, South Carolina, who thought he was the king of the world. My brother came up to see me yesterday and someone had taken my picture years ago. Boy, I had a head full of I'd show you the picture. Some of you may be weak. You don't need to see how good I look back then. <laughs> oh, man. Now I've got a hair full of head. <laughs> Loretta asked me this morning, seriously, I just thought of this. She says, are you ready to go do your hair? <laughs> We did my hair. I, I'm not going any further. We're going to end on my hair. I did something this morning. I'll tell you this and I'll close. I struggled with this sermon. When I sent it to Sharon yesterday to prepare for the screen and all that, I told her, I said, I hope nothing. And the outline changes, but I said, I'm suffering on this one. I said, I'm having a hard time. And a lot of it was just reading the text and helping it to make sense. I got up early this morning, which is what I usually do on Sunday mornings. And boy, that time is so so precious. But instead of studying and going over my notes and putting highlights to make sure I didn't forget that, I have a friend of mine, Keith, who's here this morning. He and I went to Bible college together years ago. He's older than me. Years ago, we used to see young preachers up there at the Bible college 
They didn't have churches yet. We did, but we didn't have any business having one. We, we didn't, you couldn't put in the field and out front what we didn't know about what we were doing. But we would see people's sermon outlines and it would have written on there, get loud here. <laughs> well, I'd hate to miss that. I said that the regular tone of voice, God can't use it. I should have been screaming it at that point. I'm just saying to you this morning, instead of getting up and making sure I had everything just so, because I thought, man, these five points, yeah, we just did one. They're going to go by so fast. I, I, I'm going to finish early, and with this COVID thing and all that else has happened lately, that's too big a shock for people. But really, I, I thought, what am I going to say? So this morning, I did something different. You're going to think, duh, and that's okay, but I need to tell you this. Instead of getting up this morning and fine-tuning, I got up and prayed. It's a miracle, isn't it? You're like, you did. That dawned on you. Yeah. Before I did my hair. I got up and I said, God, I want your spirit to speak to me today. Will you fill me with your spirit? It convicted me a couple of weeks ago when we preached about how Paul could go somewhere for two weeks and leave and the church grow like wildfire with no professionals left behind, no seminary grads in place. People, everyday people who had only been saved two weeks were sharing the gospel and it says in the book of Acts they were turning the world upside down. And I thought, I need to keep studying, but I need to pray more. That God, once it's all laid out, that it's worthless unless you come and anoint it. So I prayed this morning. I said, God, you just fill me with your spirit. And look what happened. We got through one point. <laughs> okay. If it's his will, we'll go through the rest next week. And I'm going to warn you, I'm going to pray before next week today. This praying thing is really should catch on, don't you think? <laughs> it really should. I should write a book. Preachers should pray before they preach. <laughs> Just, I want God to speak. I want us to know that in the midst of all of this chaos and junk that goes on in our world around us right now, with this COVID thing that's killing churches, I mean, there are churches that are not going to—they're not going to come back from it. I know the Church of God is going to survive everything. I got that, but there are local churches that I—I I, I don't know. There are businesses all over this country. They're not coming back. They're not coming back. I don't blame them for being angry either because I can tell you a lot of them, they saw it was a political football. It was a bunch of people in power that were fighting each other with the very livelihoods of people that poured everything they had into it and now it's gone. And isn't that amazing when we're burning down your business? That's one thing, but if you knock a window out of one of our buildings that you pay for with your business, just different. All I'm saying to you is, yeah, we got a lot of stuff we can harp on all day long. But let me tell you this. 
God's word is teaching us from 1 Peter that we have a salvation that comes from God, prophesied even in the Old Testament. And, and, and if you want to go back earlier than that, Peter's already told us that before the foundations of the world, before creation, God already knew me. Prognosis is the word we get from that. Pro and gnosis. Gnosis is spelled with a G. It's usually silent until we put pro in front of it. And then it becomes prognosis. God knew beforehand. He knew me beforehand and chose me beforehand. It just blows my mind. We have an awesome salvation. Let's prepare our minds for action, church. I know sometimes you get exposed to different to the virus or whatever, you can't come. We have a great crowd today. Come every chance you can. Men come Wednesdays. Ladies, I don't know when you will be meeting. Are you meeting now? You are meeting. See, I'm all over it. I know what's going on around here. <laughs> come when you can. Because we need to come together. There are going to be some people that you don't see, you might not ever see them again. Really. Because where we are going is going to be for the serious only. Really. I don't think they're going to care about sermons like this. They're not humanitarian-centered. They're about Christ. They're about God. They're about glorifying Him. How to get bored and quickly if you don't know Him. But let's be here when we can. In Cornerstone, let's be the church God wants us to be. Pray with me right now. Lord, I ask you right now, Father. Well, first of all, I thank you. I thank you, God, for coming and speaking to our hearts this morning. And I ask you right now, Father, Lord, just to speak to us with what we've heard today. I pray, God, that you'll bring to remembrance the things that you really want, Lord, impressed in our minds and hearts. Help us, God. Help us, Lord, through your power, not our own strength, but through your power to gird our minds, the loins of our minds, get our minds ready for action, God. Lord, help us to study more than ever. Help us to pray more than we study. Help us to read. Help us, Lord, to endeavor to know whatever we can. And help us, God, every opportunity that we have. No more flimsy excuses, God. It's been too precious to be able to get together. I pray, Father, that you would help us to come together and to love one another and fellowship together and lift up each other, God, because we are all going through a very difficult time. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.